We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 302 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emil Amanesian. And Emil, we've got a nice edition of La Ronda coming the listener's way. Any questions for each other before we get started? I mean, other than the answer I have, of, do I feel better? I mean, not really. If you look at the video, I've still got a little bit of a beard, and I'm not feeling great. Might have taken some cough breaks, but I don't know. How are you, Emil? I'm... Uh... I'm better than uh, I'm better than the Barca on-field product from uh, from late Sunday afternoon or uh, late Saturday afternoon. But so are you better than the vibes from that Xavi pr- uh, press conference or introduction? I mean, all that we're going to talk about today. Uh, probably not, because those were good vibes. So those are yeah, that's that's quite good. I'm I'm trying to latch onto that. I'm trying to channel those feelings. Yeah, I mean, before we get started with all the Xavi stuff, because I basically took La Ronda. We got a number of questions about different topics outside mm-hmm. of Xavi, but because this is his introduction day, this is the presentation day, this is the moment yep. the new chapter begins. Most of the questions I have are from Xavi. <laughs> uh, if some other stuff comes up, sure, but we might answer some of those other La Ronda questions later in the week, actually, if they weren't related to Xavi. But mm-hmm. as far as Celta de Vigo, yeah, I mean, I guess we could just put a pin in that real quick. I mean, yeah. that's not the right idiomatic expression there. But anyway, let, let's just put a quick thought into that. And, and that's it. So for Celta de Vigo, I thought it was a lot more of what we saw from the previous few games under Sergio mm-hmm. Brazuan. Nothing had really changed. Nico, I thought, played rather well. Again, Ansu's yep. finish was uh, tremendous. But to me, it was really a tale of what Xavi is inheriting. A team in the first half that could compete for top four, that could mm-hmm. still make the Champions League knockout. And then the second half, he's also inheriting the team that Barcelona, that Barcelona currently is, and that is disjointed, disorganized, defensively weak, uh, and, and very, very young for better okay. or worse. And I think the, the problem is, too, and this sort of happened in the second half, it's everything that you said, the, the disjointed, inexperienced, very young, and you know undermanned defensively. And all of that, unfortunately, sort of conspires. When things start going wrong, it seems to... I don't know, uh, kind of spiral or avalanche more profoundly, you know, in a very pronounced sort of way. Like when it, when it starts to go downhill, there doesn't seem to be a mechanism to sort of slow things down, take a breath and kind of check everything and, and reestablish. And that's going to be the biggest thing, finding firm footing when, you know, when things get shaky. Uh, yeah. And uh, going back to the youth thing, I even look at throughout this entire season where I don't entirely blame youth in so many of those instances. Mm-hmm. Like, or I think it was the second goal is Busquets who lost his man. He yeah. didn't cover the space in the middle. And it's, it's again, not just on Busi, but then you draw the line. You're like, Oh, well, Alba didn't rotate at the proper time because the young hadn't rotated at the proper time because that forward line, that being at the time, easy Abde, mm-hmm. who I think it was for the second goal, maybe in the third goal that he did not press in sync with Memphis because Memphis was a bit tired. Mm-hmm. And then the young player who's, you know, full of exuberance had just played for Hercules a few months ago, you know, wants to press, <laughs> but now there's a space left in behind because he didn't go with Memphis. Is that because of mm-hmm. Memphis's effort or is that right? And then, so it starts from the point of the attack works all the way yeah. back. And you can definitely pinpoint certain people who made individual mistakes. And that led to the three goals in that comeback. And then Yago Aspas, doing what Iago Aspas does in the 90s. Yeah, that's just his move. Yeah. yeah. So. In 95. So not to say yeah. that we're throwing out another draw, but I, I think it was 
probably the most quickly forgotten game. I was still yeah. a little under the weather. I got the match review out hours after the fact and the number numbers wise and people watching it, not many people actually did watch it because I feel like people were already, as the kids say, over it. Yeah. But again, the one positive I take from it is there was a moment again where Easy Abde passed it to Ricky Pooj, who was playing in that match, and then he mm. sprays it out wide to uh, Alex Balbe. And if you had told me a few months ago that, uh, you know, Pooj is still going to get his, his random opportunities, but of those three, Pooj was actually the biggest surprise to be on the field in that moment because yeah. Balbe is getting a bit of a role and mm -hmm. he's breaking into the team. And then this kid, again, who played for Hercules a few months ago, Easy Abde, he's a good dribbler. He yeah. did need to do for Barca B, he was bright. So he was being used, unfortunately, over Yusuf Demir. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, I mean, for those three to be in that kind of position late in the game against Celso de Vigo, it's a learning experience. And you hope that Javi's yeah. able to look at that tape and go, hey, this is all stuff I can work with. Because if, yeah. let's say, we're two years ago, right? And yeah. that goal was scored because, now I can't remember who was on the team two years ago, but, you know, let's <laughs> say it was Kevin Prince Boateng who didn't defend properly. Right. And then Arturo Vidal gets beat off the dribble up to the middle. Busquets is slow to it. PK was the one who missed the tackle and it scored. If I'm, yeah. Javi, I'm looking at that tape and going, well, I, I mean, this is all a bunch of 30 year olds. What am I going to do with it? You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, exactly. I it's yeah. It. You're, you're not going to, you're not going to squeeze any, any more energy and, and life out of those legs. Yeah. Well, so the first question we, I think we start with is talking about the Celta de Vigo match. And then if that's the, you know, the tape that he got that, that Xavi starts with, cause that's what he should be starting with. Mm. Nicholas and Minor both ask, what should be Xavi's first actions as manager? And Minor, a uh, little bit of different taste in his first 30 days. So almost like a president's first 100 days. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> in 30 days, what drastic changes should we expect from the squad, if any? That's a very good question. So much of it depends on health, because again, we're, we're talking about Ansu Fati's injury situation and things like that. But provided he... He's out for a month, so... Yeah, 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 that's what, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. So it's in the, in the absence of the full, full complement of players, I mean, I think the move has to be to play the kids and... You know, see see what you have. I mean, obviously, not put every every veteran out to out to pasture and things like that. But I think, at the very least, it's we talked about this with some of Kuman's press conferences, where he would sort of deliver those uncomfortable, inconvenient truths about where where the club was, both on the pitch and and in the checking accounts and everything like that. I there's there's not a miracle fix here. Of course, the, the objective has to be to accumulate as many points and you know win as many matches and try to win every match and everything like that. I think the goodwill is so high, and I think Xavi has enough leeway where he has a genuine opportunity in a way a lot of these this last kind of procession of managers hasn't to really take stock of the, the young talent on hand. And because he's going to have a chance to put in his system and implement his, his formation and his tactics – really kind of take a look at guys. So my my hope is that we do see the kids more. I want to see I want to see Demir. I want to see actually I want to see Ricky Booch play and see if he, you know, now that he has a sympathetic a sympathetic coach, kind of, you know, a, a guy cut from the the cloth that he's theoretically coming from. You know, the another La Masia guy. I want to see if there is some kind of a mind meld between the two of them or some sort of a you know, a, a rhythm that they can strike where yeah, Pooch is able to, to maximize some more of his potential. Yeah, wouldn't this be, this would truly be the end of Pooch, right? Because if yeah. Xavi isn't okay with Pooch and Xavi says, hey, I don't think you're going to fit in my Barcelona, then he won't fit in any Barcelona. That's it, yeah. Yeah, because ideology, philosophy, that's why Pooch could have stuck around, right? Yeah. And so that's why he played as much as he did under Setien because Setien mm -hmm. was supposed to be in the same ideology. Not to say that Kuman wasn't, because Kuman. I think we made a lot of, not excuses mm. for him, but we did say often that he was doing what he could with what he had, right. with the squad he had due to the finances. And I would say actually to answer the question about what are going to be his first actions and what are going to be the drastic changes he makes are things that I don't think we as Kool-Aid's outside of the dressing room, outside of dinners, outside of communications will actually see. He actually, I think, said what he was going to do. The first thing he was going to do, he said he wants rules. And so let me get the exact quote here. I, I think at first, it's important that we put rules in place and be more demanding with ourselves. After that, we can talk about values, about respect and attitude, because if we don't have values, we don't have a team. Then we can look at the model, how we play, how we attack, how we defend. It's not about being tough, but having rules. I will try to help the players personally and professionally. I know how taxing it is to psychologically play for this club. So what he might be doing or might he, what he might do that changes things 
is he might be a bit, and a lot of managers do this, especially those that we don't know how mm -hmm. hands-on he likes to be. But there are stories going back to Pep's days about he wanted players to eat a certain thing at a certain time the night mm -hmm. before a match or three nights before a match. There were certain requests that he would make, just odd requests of yeah. players that were very, very regimented. And so Xavi might come in with these kind of rules. I mean, it could be, they could make a lot of sense. Like maybe Xavi really, really believes in, you know, mangles or whatever, right? So yeah. or avocados. And he says, hey, I really trust that I, I want what I did at El Sad and what I want players to do is eat. Uh, and, uh, we have an avocado snack at 8 p.m. every uh, every night before a match, and we all yeah. get on a Zoom call and we all say one thing, a positive affirmation the next day, right? Like I don't, I'm not saying that's yeah. like, of a success, but I'm saying is like he might actually bring in. That's what he might even mean by rules, where he's going to say, "Hey, I know that Kuman allowed you to get on the bus at X time." but I actually want to stay in the locker room until X time and get on the bus at a different time. Right. Like I, I just like Xavi wants, yeah. is going to put it in his model, his mold. And there's so many little moments, little minutes, X, Y, Z that we don't see because yeah. we're outside the club. So those things all behind the scenes and even the way that they go about communication. And I think that's again, going to be the biggest change or the biggest drastic thing that's going to be different is Kuman had a certain way of not really talking to yeah. uh, to people, I mean, we goes. It started with Luis Suarez and their two minute phone call about Luis Suarez, the third leading goal scorer in club history, exiting the club and yeah, telling him goodbye. Yeah, basically, yeah, thirty five second <laughs> conversation, all the way up to like Pooj kind of getting mixed signals sometimes, and even in the signal he did get, having yeah. the ability to refuse that. Right, so. Pashavi, I think it's going to be, there's no reason, as you said, he's been completely emboldened. There's no reason for him not to have full transparency on the conversations he has with, with his players moving forward because he does have the power to do so and he does have yeah. the, the president. So I just think, again, we will not physically see those big changes, but hey, those big changes could mean immediate results and yeah. might not mean any tactical changes. It literally just might mean that the team that was up 3 nothing holds on to a 3-1 lead. You know, and, yeah. and that might be the only difference, but it might be a very similar team who winds up again getting a few results and you're going to feel like everything is different. But no, it's just the team is a bit more emboldened because of what they call, you know, that new manager bump. There's a new manager bounce with a certain element of and I think you touched on it. There's that almost unparalleled level of institutional knowledge of I mean, he said it in his own statement that. I know the toll, what did you say, the psychological toll or the emotional toll yeah. that playing for this club can take. And there are, I don't know, I mean, how many, there's maybe a small handful of people on earth that can walk in and tell a young player who either has signed here or, you know, has just graduated from La Masia what it is. You know, just once the once the heat gets ratcheted up and once once you're not a kind of a young starlet and a and a hopeful a little bit of a hopeful novelty once they're really demanding things of you here's how that goes and here's how you actually approach your job to to deliver on those expectations when you think of great duos who do you think of Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade I mean I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast but for the Barcelona version there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta and as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen 
and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, remember, a very young Xavi was was booed, was jeered was yeah. at the Camp No, and he was very close to moving, to leaving, going to, I believe it was Rangers at the time in like 2003, mm. I want to say, or 2000, maybe in 2002. Mm. But yeah, I mean, he was close to, after having made his debut, thinking he was the next young thing, he was going to be the next young thing, Pep Guardiola yeah. under his wing, and yet he's getting jeered and is on the peripheral of the, of the club, and yet he was able to stick around and wound up to, to, to catch iron at the perfect time. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I actually had a conversation with someone here about this recently. I think a little bit of the, and we actually, that period. So when Javi got his, made his debut. So that was, I guess what, that was the, the end of the sort of the, the ill-fated second Van Gaal era, I believe, because he gave both. Kind of got his debut in what, 98, I think it was, 97 or 98 is when he first made his debut. And then he yeah. really kind of featured in the club between 99 and 2001-ish around that area. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then, but that was, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was when Van Gaal came back and, mm-hmm. but because it was pre, it was Van Gaal, but pre, pre-Rijkaard. Right. So it was kind of, yeah, and he's seen this. He's seen Barca in the in the Rocky times when, you know, the, the winds aren't coming and the fans are, the fans are upset. <laughs> yep. So yeah. Speaking of changes, uh, Pancho yep. asked a question. Do you think Xavi will finally bench some of the old guard? Also, what are your biggest takeaways from his appointment? Well, let's, let's see the first one. I, I think it's going to be a lot less complicated than we think it is. I think he's just mm-hmm. going to rotate them better. Busquets, yeah. I, I looked this up. I mean, I knew Busquets was playing too much and, and indeed mm-hmm. he, was, he is. Busquets has played the full 90 in all but four matches this season. Yeah. yeah, all three of the four coming in September and three of those four matches being terrible matches, the Bayern, the Benfica and the Granada. And then he did He also played 83 minutes in August in the 4-2 win against Real Sociedad. So he came off once in victory or once in success, you know, like you've done your job. Yeah. And the other three he came off because, OK, Barca are done. I mean, they're done and dusted. Let's just to take I might as well off. save his legs a bit. Yeah. So he, but he's played in all 90 matches and all those other ones. So an entire month straight of playing uh, the full 90. So, I mean, Xavi said that it's an advantage to have a relationship with PK, Busquets, Alba, Roberto, and even Ter Stegen. So I think that's going to be important. It's not even Busquets, yeah. oh, you know, you're the captain, like you have to take a seat or you're going to be benched for De Young. No, Busquets is just not going to play the full 90 all the time, which is totally yeah. fine. And he might actually, oh my gosh, come off the bench as a sub occasionally. Not to say that he'll be a sub, but like, I mean, how different is it going to be if he's just only playing the full 90 twice a week instead of three times a week, right? It's, it's like, it's yeah. not crazy. And then Roberto, I think, is the one that he is a captain. But Roberto might find himself on the peripheral. He's the one player that I'm like, oh, even when he comes back from injury, he may not, he may play only every other match or every third match. Yeah, right? I think he's he's more of a utility guy and just sort yeah. of, you know, the, yeah, used, used in necessity or when when someone needs a break, someone needs a rest or yeah, because he's at the very least, he understands what it is he's 
supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be doing whether whether it comes off as a different question but yeah i mean i think you can kind of put him in as as an old head but yeah i don't imagine we'll see too much of him you know as a as a regular starter kind of a a, a true kind of rotation player going forward well, I think that right back spot in particular, if we speak about not Roberto as a right back, but mm-hmm. midfield or right back, like even a, just because a player comes to the academy, you had mentioned Pooj, doesn't mean that Xavi mm-hmm. is immediately going to fall in love with them or think that mm-hmm. they're the greatest player who needs to be on the field. I mean, he's going to have a list of tasks that he wants each position to do. So a player yeah. like Oscar Mangetha at right back and Des very different, right? They're, they're, they're yeah. so different of players and they're both very flawed. They both do good things, but they're both very flawed. Yeah. So the question is from the, from the jump, which of those two players at right back uh, has a natural skill set that better aligns with Xavi's vision? That player mm-hmm. might be the one who gets the first opportunity. And let's say Mingetha, not only does he not really fit exactly what Xavi wants in that position, mm-hmm. but he also can't really get to that level. Like he's not exactly doing in training what Xavi's asking of him. Yeah. And Mingetha could easily find himself on the outside looking in. And the same with yeah. Balde. Oh, Balde deserves time. He's an, a young up and comer, right? Mm-hmm. But if Xavi wants a certain thing out of, Balde out of that player and he's mm-hmm. not really delivering that in training you're like oh what happened to Balde he fell out of favor with Xavi well no he's 17 and he's gonna need some time to get up yeah. to speed and so Xavi's not gonna trust him in those opportunities instead it's gonna be you know Roberto out of position at left back because mm-hmm. Xavi feels like he could do the job he's asking of him better and the truth is is a result let's say Balde finds himself back with Barca B and Roberto mm-hmm. plays more and Barca go on a five-game winning streak, right? It's not that it was all on Balde. It's right. that Roberto better does the job that Xavi was asking and Barca's results are are getting are improving w- with that. So, uh, you know, as far as the old guard goes, you know, I, I think it just, it's it may be a bit more rotation, but it also might not change at all. And it might be things mm-hmm. that we don't really see depending on what he's asking of them. But at, yeah. at some point, at some point though, I mean, not to contradict myself mm-hmm. quickly before I, I let you go, between PK and Busquets and even Alba and Roberto, their physical limitations and the flaws that they have due to their experience, we should say, yeah. uh, aren't going to go away. They, it's a lot harder for those kind of players to get that new manager bump than a young player who can immediately take instruction, internalize it, and, and use that as, uh, as motivation and passion. These older players, it's a bit harder. Even if they want to do yeah. anything, their body might not even allow them to play for their friend. Well, I think that's the I think that's the biggest part of it is speaking about the old guard first. Yeah, I mean, particularly uh, it's particularly true of PK and and Busquets and and Alba as well. You know, and I've never been a huge fan of just simply piling on Sergio Roberto, but you know, to a to a somewhat lesser extent, Sergio Roberto. But anyway, to to varying degrees, all four of these guys we've seen in the past. They they know what the job is. They know the you know sort of that that Barca way of playing. They've they've tasted success, you know, at, at this club and they've, they've done some great things. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mileage on all of those legs. And particularly when it comes to Piquet and Busquets, you know, when you were talking about Busquets and maybe him coming off of the bench sometimes, or, you know, definitely not being slated to play the full 90 every week, just clockwork. Honestly, that just that makes a lot of sense. It's nothing against the player he's been or the the incredible, just savvy and even to this point talent that he still possesses. But I mean, there there come points where we realize that we're closer to the end than we are at the beginning. And I don't I don't know that there is a scenario in which playing Busquets 90 minutes every time out, unless it's out of just sheer necessity. Um, I don't know that that is what needs to be happening. And so in that sense, I imagine all four of the old guard, I imagine they'll get fewer minutes. Um, At the same time, I don't imagine anyone's going to be completely sort of frozen out or, you know, immediately Xavi's just going to come and, you know, Luke de Young. That's the one. What's that? Except maybe Luke de Young. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm talking about the Barca old guard. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, no. I, I, I don't, I don't foresee a great deal of Luke de Young going forward, and that's not the worst thing. But no, but I think the sort of that core four that's still around. Um, I imagine they'll get fewer minutes, but I think there's also an element of again, these guys have so much institutional knowledge; they understand what the 
the Barca way of playing is, and I don't mean the the Barca way, and just even simply on the pitch, they these guys understand what it looks like when it works, what goes into it when it works, and so. I think in a sense, Xavi can look at these guys as extensions of him within the playing squad. And so I don't think there's going to be a case of any high profile casualties from the from the squad. But I imagine we will see lighter minutes loads for, for each of these guys. And that kind of dovetails in with, I don't want to say auditioning, but effectively figuring out you know, a little bit of um, experimentation with the young guys to figure out, okay, we can we can take his red that every one of these guys has talent. They are a, a talented player to a certain extent. They are objectively pretty good players or good prospects. Sometimes a good prospect just simply doesn't do, it's exactly what you said. Sometimes a, a good prospect simply doesn't do the thing that you need him to do. That doesn't make him a bad player, but it's worth, these are the times when the stakes, relatively speaking, are lower to figure out what is going to be, who are your foundational pieces going forward and who can really learn from the older, learn from the old guard and almost maybe try to develop into the sort of organically develop into the natural, natural replacements for them. Well, just tactically speaking, as far as where he wants his center midfielders, his interiors, and even in the pivot position, he's going to need that institutional knowledge of Busquets, that being Xavi, to even do a similar thing to what he was doing at Al Saad. So Busquets is going to be important to basically, uh, you know, making Xavi's near-term vision possibility. And to that point about young players, here's, I think we're kind of beating a dead horse of this, but Kadigit, and apologies on pronunciation, you can let me know uh, next time you ask a question, how to pronounce your name, and I'll make sure I get it right. So with so many young and talented players coming through, what new signings would Xavi look to complete uh, to keep Barcelona competitive in the present? Well, we obviously know the money thing, but I think... As far as there are free transfers, people are, are spitting out there. Raheem Sterling, of course, is one that the tabloids will continue to spit out. Actually, the tabloids have been spitting him out for a year or two on the Xavi connection prior to, way prior to, to Barcelona. But Wigan was the answer to that. And it was really telling that we're going to do Dembele later. So I'm mm. not going to mention Dembele, but I will just say that it was telling that Xavi's one comment about an individual player was about Dembele and mm. uh, what Xavi believes and how important he believes the wings to be for mm-hmm. the system he wants to play. Something that Kuman basically said the same thing, but he never had those players available. That said, to, to answer it in-house, so kind of going away from that whole new signing idea, because Barcelona don't really have the ability to do that. But yeah. it is it is telling that when Sergi Barzwan, with what he had to work with, that Easy Abde winds up getting the nod this really wide, you know, winger, yeah. really a winger's winger, dribbly, doesn't really have a finishing product. But he is, they opted for him with Yusuf Demir remaining on the bench. Mm-hmm. And then Ilash Komash, who scored two goals right in front of Xavi when he showed up to the uh, <laughs> stadium for Barca B. Ilash Komash is much more also an inverted winger with that mm-hmm. left foot, comes off on the right side. You know, finishing product is still questionable, but a bit, a bit dribbly, but again, more of an inverted winger, very much just like Yusuf Demir. So I think it may not mean even more youngsters. So Xavi might not go back to Barca B or back to the U19s or back into the academy even more, right? We may not Mm. see a greater number of youngsters because looking at how many teenagers with the whole dream team and all that, like, (laughs) you know, 14 players of 22 years or younger is already pretty, pretty young. There's plenty of there's plenty of youth there already just kind of harvesting more young guys isn't isn't necessarily the answer i'm just right. on its and, own. Then, and then adding easy abde actually makes it 15 he wasn't even in that list because he's mm. you know not considered a prospect like the others so we could just see again you said to me a return uh we just mean it may mean different young players not necessarily ones we've seen we could even see we could see less of eric garcia and maybe he likes what arnold kamas on the b team adds mm. instead right because they're actually believe it or not they're the same age kamas and, and eric garcia one just played oh. in the third division and one played mm. in man city so right so he might just favor one young player over another and right the young players if they're eligible for barca b goes down back to barca b but yeah the injury thing is is huge here so next one for you uh emil ellie yes. asked with the squad currently having 11 to 12 injuries how does Xavi being in charge change that? Can the intensity be upped all of a sudden mid-season in training without resulting in even more injuries? And tra- uh, training, this was the one that we keep getting question after question after question about, yeah. about training sessions and things like this. Look, without without knowing anything, but, you know, just even on, on Twitter, just on kind of Barca Twitter, the general, the questions are really being asked of what exactly is it that the training staff is doing that... <laughs> 
really kind of no one seems like they can stay healthy. And, you know, particularly once someone gets hurt, it seems like they're not able to maintain any sort of meaningful stretch of of good health and good form before they go down again. So I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what's happening behind closed doors. I don't know what the what the medical staff is doing. Now, some of the articles that I did read, I mean, I think I read something in the in the athletic recently, just in the in the aftermath of the of the appointment, is that apparently Javi has a staff of guys, like, and a lot of them are ex-Barsa, like ex-Barsa guys are just people that he knows from his days at Barsa who he took were part of his staff at El Sad. And so a lot of those guys are coming in. From what I understand, the most high profile person who's sticking around on the staff from, you know, the, the Kuman to Xavi uh, transition is the goalkeeping coach. And even he is someone that Xavi knew from prior to his departure. Yeah. So he's, I don't know if he's completely overhauling the training staff, but I do think that, He's bringing in, so he's going to bring in a new philosophy for training. Now, what are, what that exactly is, yeah, because at, as much as you might want to drill these guys and do long training sessions and up the fitness and up the tactical acumen and everything else, I mean, if everybody is either hurt or in the process of being slightly less hurt or just recently finished being hurt, you know, drilling them and running them longer and harder is probably not a great, great recipe for long-term health. So, I mean, I think, I think there's going to be some changes in the training staff. I don't know. That's one of those things, like you were saying, it happens behind closed doors. I don't know that it's going to be tangible or visible to us on the outside, but so I think there's a little bit of that. And otherwise, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just also an, an understanding of where where each player's physical state is and the injured players where they are how how likely an injury is to be reaggravated and how close someone is to full fitness and things like that and pushing them as hard as you can you know responsibly given their individual circumstances so i think it's going to be a lot of given the the sheer volume of injuries that barca have right now i think there has to be a little bit of if not customized but personalized approaches to training with each guy because just drilling the squad because coming in and just saying you guys aren't being you know you guys aren't good enough you know everybody we're gonna we're gonna go hard for three hours that's possibly going to just break some of your players yeah i mean i like that answer because the teams that i've been on you know as a player or whatever Mm. that i've enjoyed are those that are more receptive where coaching staffs are more receptive Mm. to the individual physical needs of players because you know, if you can all get on the same page and believe that everybody wants to win, everyone is a professional, everybody yeah. wants to do the job and everyone would love to play. Everyone would love to be in the field. Mm-hmm. So once you start there and don't make it a thing about passion or who wants it more or whatever, yeah. then you can individually speak to players like that. Yeah. I mean, even, and, and for people who've done any physical activity, who know, I mean, some of our listeners or some people around this who followed the sport have, you know, never done it themselves, but even like over the summertime, I felt like I was in really good shape. People were letting mm-hmm. me know, like, I, I was like, Oh, this is the best shape I've been in post 30. And I was feeling it. And then the last few weeks when I had the family stuff and then I'm, you know, I'm still under the weather. I got sick. I tried to go out on Saturday and yeah. I've been icing my hamstrings now for two days after that because <laughs> yeah. I, I just, it doesn't, I, I just can't recover. I just didn't have it. Uh, and even me, I'm getting, I'm playing, you know, pickup. So I'm, I'm going at my own pace, right? right. And people are watching film on me. I would have, I would have heard it to the, to never's end, but that's just because it's been three weeks that I not even fell off the wagon, but just other things yeah. for me got in the way. Cause I'm not a professional footballer. I know that's our only job and myopically that's all they're supposed to do, but sometimes, you know, physically players just don't recover the way they're supposed to on certain timelines. And uh, to the yeah. point of bringing in his own staff, there will be new faces and new changes. And I also want to mention too, the relationship that certain club doctors or physios have with the staff. And so, there is a level of obviously these are all actual medical professionals and there is a difference of how much pull certain ones have on how much mm-hmm. trust institutional trust that certain ones have so Juanjo mm-hmm. Brow who's the head of physiotherapy in the first team has been relieved of his duties today so mm-hmm. we don't know if he was you know again we don't know his relationship with Kuman or his relationship with Bartomeu and we don't know that if he would say hey Dembélé mm-hmm. still needs 10 days but Kuman is like actually but I need him now was yeah. he overruled or was it the opposite? Was he, would he, was he holding players out 
longer mm-hmm. even than expected as a medical professional and saying, Hey, this is more important than that. So Xavi is bringing in his, uh, basically his own physio in Carlos Aguera, mm-hmm. a member of his staff at Al Saad. Uh, then the other big power player here, if you will, Dr. Ricard Pruna, who Noah and Dinesh both asked about what is the likelihood that Xavi brings him back to the club and why did he leave in the first place and how good was Dr. Ricard Pruna and will he be back? He did take over in 2007 as Barca's club doctor, initially joined them in 1996. So that tells mm-hmm. you that his relationships within the club were very much, it seemed like about the club first and then as almost as a doctor second. But then he left mm-hmm. the club in September of 2020, citing disagreements with Bartomeu's decision-making, spent the last year of the club not working with the first team at all. And you kind of get the sense that his voice used to matter and then it didn't yeah. matter. And that's kind of why he left, right? You can read between the lines on that. Yeah, and, I mean, and you so- can just follow the trajectory of that that timeline i mean he yeah. ascended to team doctor when you know the the greatest the greatest club side in history essentially was taking shape and and maturing and as everything was on fire that was when he had been marginalized and <laughs> i mean know. a great story about him comes to play with andres and yes and his hamstring that i've talked about mm-hmm. before on the show that ended you know with the world cup but also uh with that chelsea match and the chelsea goal mm-hmm. the, the memorable one and yep. that basically the issue between Pruna and Iniesta that because both of them are, are such amendable people that there was some <laughs> confusion about how fit he was, about the risks that he was going to have to take. And he, that being Pruna, didn't even have all the information to give Iniesta. And so the <laughs> player himself has to take that risk and yeah. find works, it, it winds up working out. But there are cases where with, with Ansu Fati, right, where it doesn't work mm-hmm. out. He gets injured, a different injury than his knee, but it's a mm-hmm. hand because it's, it's, he's not prepared to return in the way he did. But how do you get that fitness program right? And then mm-hmm. Abbas asked a question even that I'm not going to be able to answer. Let's start, let's start there. But how or what is the team's fitness program compared to other major local and European terms and, uh, teams in terms of frequency, intensity, specific to certain players? And this is a little diatribe I want to go off real quick. I mean, mm-hmm. you'll have me. By all you know, means. I feel like there are people on, especially Twitter, who think yep. they are experts on the, these training sessions for these teams. And the best answers we get are actually from the managers themselves about intensity, about things like that. The parts of training that are made available to the public, even the club social media staff are generally lighter and the small games portions of the very first warmups that are done in training. That's when usually media or whoever gets in there to be able to take pictures or quick video. And then people go and think that those moments when they see Dembele smiling or whatever, they think like they're just jogging around and kicking the ball around. Right. Like they, that's all they did for three yeah, hours and then they, yeah. An, an everyday part of training. So the yeah. rare documentary crew or special long written mm-hmm. feature may get access to one or two of those closed sessions, you know, actual yeah. sessions, if you will, with that actually have the tactical instructions and the actual conflict and yelling or whatever. And then the intense 11 v 11 type stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not very common. And the, the story I would, I would imagine to- even then, like um, even if you, if you are allowed sort of at least full personal access to one of those sessions, there's probably some sort of moratorium on the true tactical true, right. stuff. And we just don't have access to that. And the story yeah. I always have is when I was a uh, when I was a beat reporter and a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. This is now going back eight, nine, ten years for very small schools, athletic teams. Mm-hmm. It was a basketball team in particular, mm-hmm. and so I would also prior to that I had done sideline even. So when I used to even do sideline reports. I'm trying to get near the huddle so I can hear the coach, right? And usually yeah. in basketball huddles, just say, you know, hey, you know, we got to catch him on in defensive transition. Make sure you yeah. stick to your man, you know, blah, 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 right? Really kind of simple stuff, arbitrary in game because there's not yeah. really any real adjustments you can make other than, you know, hey, make sure you you lock in on number three. That's the shooter. Make sure we're closing out on him, right? Yada, yada. Yeah, exactly. But it's all kind of stuff that you can, to a certain extent, you can kind of tell what's going wrong yeah, yeah. In, a, in a basketball game. Yeah. But here's the problem. Even then, as I'm trying to hear the huddles, I'd have team managers or, you know, whoever wants to be a future head coach in five to 10 years, boxing me out, like pushing me saying, hey, you know what I mean? Like restricting my access. Like I have, like, I'm going to immediately take it over to the opposing bench and say, yeah, like you're hey, gonna, yeah. you know, the home team I covered, uh, you know, the, the home team that yeah. I covered that I tried to report on fairly, uh, here's all their information that they just talked about in that huddle. Hope you can, <laughs> yeah. right. And like, and so if you think that, you know, these very, very small schools for basketball, whatever, or even football that I would do, mm-hmm. if you think that, and even when I would do coaches interviews before, and I'd say, Hey coach, so what's the game plan against this? And they're like, Oh, we're going to keep it close to the vest. You know, like, I mean, yeah. who's going to take that? And how, even if they knew your game plan, how are they going to turn it around in 15 seconds to figure something out? Right. So anyway, oh, exactly. if you think that a, and I'll, I'll call it out. If you think division three 
right? Like we're all yeah. wherever. If you think those basketball and football teams, if you think they're paranoid, multiply that by about a million, right? Yeah. A million, million, million. Especially when you have stories like um, what happened with the Leeds United coach in, uh, of course, Bielsa, when he was literally filming the opposition, right? Oh, yeah, wasn't he in? Like, oh, no, no, he wasn't he in. Scout, right, he sent a scout to yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the guy that was in like, full camo hiding in a mountain right or like behind some trees yeah that was great the patriots with the new york jets in the yeah you have the houston astros with the 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 science yeah the the trash can and stuff even happening and so the paranoia is at 100 if you think some some 20 year old avatar of of Pedri or whoever on Twitter knows what Barcelona training sessions are actually yes. like, that's totally out of line. So uh, a boss, I'd love to answer your question, but usually the information we get comes long after when Graham Hunter writes a book about it, 10 years after the glory. Oh. Then you figure yeah. out- The, the era has to be over basically. Exactly. Yeah. And then you figure out when the very best training sessions are like, even like Kubala, the only story that come out about Kubala and Helena Herrera was that Helena yeah. Herrera would scream at him and he was still drunk. And that was the, the two things. Yeah, I think he would go take a nap or something. Yeah. That was the only thing we ever learned was the conflict that would happen with Romario and Cruyff and Stoikov in training. Like, yeah. And then like, it, yeah, and it was like Ronaldinho would come to training in last night's clothes right. and he'd go nap on the massage table. And yeah, like these are like, that's what sort of leaks out. And that even then that only leaks out when, you know, particular people who are, have some sort of vested interest in that stuff leaking out to sell a book or an excerpt from yeah. a book or something. Or if you're a manager who's trying to plant stuff in the in the press to get rid of a superstar who's annoying you, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, you, you don't just like cavalierly throw that out there. Because I, yeah, I was thinking about the same thing. I was thinking about the the mic'd up sections, you know, when they come go to or come back from uh commercial, like at NBA games, and you know, they're right there in the in the huddle and you have like doc rivers or somebody or steve kerr and it's always the sort of the soft sciences the the man management stuff just you know it's very like inspirational and encouraging and stuff like that and yeah they always say that yeah they're not allowed to fill they're not allowed to film let alone show the actual tactical stuff so like when they're drawing up a play they're not allowed to the espn isn't allowed to just zoom in and show exactly where the screen is going to be set and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, they, they do. Yeah. They're not going to tell us this stuff, you know I mean? Uh, it's unfortunate. Cause yeah, I mean, you'd love to know. It'd be cool to know, but yeah. yeah. All right. Let, let's continue on. We'll try to be a bit quicker with these final few questions here. Liam, cool. what would we get in a transfer fee for Dembele in January? Let's uh, again, it's funny mention that because his renewal was the major individual player thing that Xavi pointed yeah. out. But what's what's your number? I think we probably have a similar number. If if he if he were sold in January, which I, he will not be, but if he yeah. were, what would that number be? I'm gonna say, um, and I'm I'm having a serious bout of uh, recency bias because I massively enjoyed uh, I massively enjoyed him in the second half against Kiev. And, uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I feel like that might have tacked on a couple of bucks, but I mean, what would you say? Like maybe 35, 40? Yep, I went exactly 40. So I think that you, since you and I are on the same page, I think that uh, tells, I think that's basically what you could get because his contract is running out, but he's still worth 40 million somewhere. So if they sold him now and you have that, well, basically it's 40 million with a guarantee that he'd sign a new deal with his new team. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, and no, and it's, there's it's, been a it's certain, not 40 de- minutes, it's not 40 million for six months. Like, let's, let's be very clear about that. No, exactly. And there's been a certain deflation. I mean, he was signed at sort of the apex of, the market and you know i mean give or take but kind of the yeah it was immediately post neymar and sort of everybody was it seemed like every player was worth somewhere between 65 and 100 million whereas now a 100 million player is a far far rarer occurrence yep uh jose asked would edigemi from salzburg be a good january signing of course the kid has 50 yes. <laughs> matches it's an immediate yes i also actually want to mention on that point that 16-year-old Iko Bravo just debuted for Bayer Leverkusen, uh, mm. which could very well have been in his contract. And remember, he took he was going to take the jump up from Cadet A. Barca offered him Juvenile Bay. Mm. He wanted Juvenile A. He wanted to be the U19. Mm. 
And that was all she wrote. And then he wound up going to Bayer Leverkusen, which wound up being really good for his career because he's already now made his first NBA debut mm-hmm. and he might not have made it for a year or two. It, just, it hurts because he is a center forward. And you look at yeah. Mark, uh, <laughs> and they do have some in the academy. But if he is a player, because I mean, even Ico Bravo now debuting for Bayer Leverkusen in six, uh, 16, Pablo Moreno was a player who was a very highly touted center forward at Barca mm-hmm. in the academy for a number of years behind Albert Ruiz. He winds up going to Juve, then to Man City, and he's been with Girona for the last two years and hasn't really got his career off the ground. And mm-hmm. he was considered one of the better center forward prospects of the last 20, 25 years in the academy. Uh, and so it very, very quickly, Jordi uh, Mula on the left, uh, was on the right wing mm-hmm. for a long time. Sergio Gomez is finally finding his career for Anderlecht as this left back type thing, right? But he had gone to yep. Dortmund. So I, again, a reminder that a lot of players leave and players always, in theory, can return. Xavi actually has held the line, though, on that. Xavi's actually been pretty mm-hmm. vocal in his time about when players leave. He doesn't necessarily want them to come back because if they chose to leave Barcelona, that says something about them. So that's actually a question I have. And I'm wondering, for even like a Danny Olmo, Danny Olmo is yeah. really, really linked to the club right now. Everyone says yeah. everybody loves him, including Xavi. But again, he would... Would that mean that Xavi's first, uh, in theory, Xavi's first signing would break his own, you know, adage that if you want to return, I guess so, but I don't really want you because you you left it originally. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only way that would really work is if it was, if, if Danny Omo was the first or the first major arrival under Xavi, I think the way you would, maybe the way you sell it is Danny Omo has to go on a, almost like a massive charm offensive to which, you know, Xavi can publicly say that, you know, I, I do wholeheartedly believe that if you leave Barcelona, I don't think you should be coming back and all of this, but really, you know, Danny showed me something and it can kind of engender, you can kind of do a little bit of, I don't know, it's almost like emotional alchemy. You kind of create yeah. this, create this goodwill. And, you know, I mean, in a sense, I mean, you, whoever the player is, whether it's Olmo or someone else, the, the returning ex academy product to do something like that would probably put them under an even more intense microscope. Well, like Delafeo, I always think after yeah, he it, Everton and he returns and I mean, he just, it was, it was never going to work. No. And there were some games when he first came back where no, he wasn't, you know, he had no place, you know, next to Nessie and Suarez and, you know, like the, the team of that caliber, but he wasn't, strictly speaking, awful when he came back, but it just, it didn't work. And then it started to deteriorate quickly. And then, yeah, fans in the press turned against him and it just sort of, it goes south quickly. The sort of when that, it, it almost is like produce, you know, souring or, or going off. So once that, once that starts, once you hit a certain tipping point with the the good vibes turning, turning sour, it, yeah, it can be too much to try to claw it back. Yep. Steven asks, who from the current academy do you believe is going to get called up to assist in helping training of verse 11 during the international break? Well, unfortunately, Hunter Oriana is a player I would mm-hmm. love to see, you know, give his best under Xavi, but mm-hmm. he is out with injury until Christmas. So that is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Kai's Ruiz Atil just returned from a lengthy injury. And I don't really trust Mateus Pereira other than mm-hmm. with, you know, being with Barca B and being an important player for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe Antonio Orlando, who's a 21-year-old midfielder who came from Granada this summer. He's been good, but the success he gets in the third division, including scoring some goals, may not translate mm-hmm. to the first division, I think. Again, he's already 21. He kind of is the player he is. Alfaro Sanz is a defensive midfielder who got called up to the Champions League. So he's definitely a pick. He's been with the academy for a long, long time. Yeah. So he'll probably be in training. I, he already trained with the first team occasionally. Yeah, like he'd probably be mine. I mean, if I had to. Yeah. And then yeah. defensively, Arnaud Comas, I already mentioned. Miko Marmol, also basically mm-hmm. uh, Barca B's most consistent player. The minutes leader right now. Marmol is a uh, left-footed center back slash left back type. But yes, uh, playing left center back. They deserve shouts. And then Guillaume Jame returned to the club, 22 years old, almost for this reason, to help lead Barca B and also, you know, join first team mm-hmm. training. He won't really break in between Mingaitha and they're the same age between Mingaitha and Dest. And obviously, we're yeah. as well, potentially, there's too many right backs. So then I already mentioned Ilasha Komash. I could see him easily being in first team training. Mm. He, I don't know if he's done too many first team trainings. Usually he'll train with Barca B and he's still kind of with U19. So he's an odd one because if he at, he's still six or uh, 17 now. And if Elash, if Elash plays with the first team one day and then with the U19s and the UEFA Youth League, then, you know, the midweek, it's not that surprising. Like a player like that who's just so mercurial 
it could be Shabby really, really likes him or Shabby's like, Hey, this kid doesn't finish at all. We need like two or three more years. I know we had the two goals the other day, but hey, yeah. we don't need to see much more from him. Uh, then unfortunately, Angel Alarcon is still out with that long-term knee injury, which is really frustrating. Mm. I think when you talk about Shabby wanting wingers, Alarcon yeah. is a young winger that, I mean, kind of a center forward, but a young winger that I would have loved to see with him. And then there are other players like Chusalba with the U19s. I think Xavi is going to like a player like that. And then even a uh, center back, Diego Almeida, but he's more on a path already laid out for center backs. So I don't think Xavi's going to mess with that. I think the guys that are with U19s or whatever it is, you know, the mm-hmm. 17, 18, 19 year olds, I think he's going to keep them at their level, you know, keep them on a path. And mm-hmm. again, it's more about the communication. We may not see them change their level, but we may not see Xavi have that conversation with Chusalba, but it yeah. might happen, right? That mm-hmm. uh, Kuman may have never had that conversation that, Xavi is going to say, hey, the academy is really where I care, uh, where this all matters. So anyway, last one, Emil. Uh, well, actually, we have two more and okay. they're probably two hard ones. So we'll try to do this in 10 minutes. So Fernando asks, what are the fair expectations that Kool-Aid should have for Xavi? Should we expect him to help secure top four, expect him to compete for the Copa del Rey, etc.? I don't know about expectation, but I think the, the reasonable hope is for top four. Like if he if he gets top four, that is a that needs to be seen as a genuinely positive outcome the yeah i mean my my expectation is that they yeah they accumulate yeah just stronger play i mean my that they you know go on a the the trajectory improves at the very least and because right now they are what is it i believe six points behind uh fourth place and so you can you can only make up what what the teams ahead of you drop so but i think at the very least if your own standard goes up and you're you know you're accumulating more points, more points per game out. And also my expectation is that he implements something to, even if it's not fortifying the defense directly, directly, but to at least some sort of tactical shift or some, uh, some kind of strategy, you know, a roundabout strategy to almost hide or protect the, the defensive weaknesses when, when they're exposed. But I think realistically top four would be a positive, I think, you know, kind of a top quartile outcome. Otherwise, I think we're probably looking at top five, top six. Yeah. And I think Copa del Rey is probably the best. Um, I mean, it is the best shot at silverware, I think. And I think that would also be a great way, you know, a cup run would be a really good way to, I guess, further bolster the the positive vibes that he's, that he's riding in on. Yeah. I mean, that Europa League spot, I think, is much more realistic at, at the point mm. that the club is at. I mean, Real Sociedad is still leading the table with 28 points. We know that they did a very similar thing last year. And then in January, they really started to fall off when they played the yeah. Spanish Super Cup and all that stuff. So we also see that could fall off. But La Real have been the best team in the Liga so far this year, which makes it muddled because then you have Real Madrid, Sevilla, and Letico Madrid, all with one loss as well, and all who do not drop many points. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see that do have a game in hand. So Real Madrid and Sevilla could actually jump them for the top of the Liga table. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have Real, Real Betis, who's been good. And then, yeah, teams like Rayo and Osasuna, Athletic Club, Valencia, Espanol, Villarreal, Mallorca, all the teams that are right around Barca at the moment, yeah. those teams are all going to drop points and all going to drop yes. a lot of points. Yeah. They're all going to go on their their valleys. They're all going to go on their runs, you know, where they win two or three in a row. Osasuna yep. may have already had their hot streak. You know, they've been a bit, yeah. uh, their, their results have been a bit dire in recent mm-hmm. times. Uh, but yeah, even Real Betis is going to, you know, have result, have good results, have bad results. So I think top five, actually, that Europa League spot is much more, realistic when mm-hmm. you have the top four that I think are kind of establishing themselves. Even as I say that though, other than La Real, Real Madrid, Sevilla, and Atletico Madrid have not looked good at times. They have all yeah. had their, not even one, but two or three mm-hmm. matches, but they have looked as dire as Barcelona. And yeah, so they, they scuffle. Yeah. And so as, as, as it's weird because our expectations have to be tempered by the expectations in the Liga. If any of those, if all those four top four at the moment teams wind up really figuring it out, at the same time that Barca figures out, then top four isn't really realistic because of yeah. all the points that were already dropped. And so it's difficult to kind of look at everyone else and say, okay, where are they? Right now, yeah. they're still showing you that they could drop points. So I think yeah. top four is fair to ask of Xavi because other teams around them are also not firing at all cylinders. And that's, so it's fair to say only six points behind Atletico. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it that feels up. like this team is more than six points out of fourth place. Right, but they're Just not... The, they, Everyone no, is not great either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just in a, in a vacuum, us watching Barca and you know suffering through some of these results that we have. But even it, in Benfica, even Benfica, Emil uh, in yeah. the Champions League, 
are we expecting Barcelona to win that match without Ansu, without Dembele, with like without somebody put the ball in the back of the net other than Memphis Dubai, who's really run cold. And when we yeah. had spoken about him coming, we knew it would be hot. We knew it'd be cold. We knew it'd be fun sometimes. And we knew it'd be dire others. And Memphis has shown us that he's even under Kuman, who's a manager who's supposed to be really supporting him. Yeah. Memphis has proven to be that. But, you know, should we expect Xavi without Ansu and Dembele to be able to get a result against Benfica and make the, the knockout? Is that a fair I mean, Expect? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to to expect it, I think, would be a little bit unfair, uh, given the, the the squad limitations and the the fact that he's, yeah, I mean, he's still kind of putting together his, putting together his squad and, you know, we have to see what's actually available to him. I don't know that I would necessarily expect it. I, I think it's more we're, we're hoping that they do that. And um, yeah, otherwise, I think, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's why the, I don't necessarily think they're going to go out and get trounced in the in the return leg against Benfica like they were the the first time around. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm certainly not expecting a victory. I mean, I think the maybe if you pull out a point and I don't know, you go into that last match day hoping that Bayern just really don't care. <laughs> but uh yeah. Um yeah, so I mean I think that's that's more realistic. I mean it, it's it's not completely it's not completely impossible, but it, I certainly wouldn't expect it. Yep. And then Khaled, last question. How much time should Will Xavi get? Well, I answered this in a tweet. I said that if I hear even a single Xavi out to like 2023, I mean, I'm, I'm blocking. That's still way too early. No, I mean, look. You're saying 2023? For- I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying if Xavi clearly isn't the right man. For the oh, team, sure, 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 sure. If it's just a like yeah. year and a half or yeah, 2023. Yeah. So yeah, so a whole year and plus from now. So I, I'd say he at least gets at least a year and a half to yeah. figure out if he's out of his depth. Because I think what we've seen at Al Saad, not even him being a club legend, but what we've seen at Al Saad, you could argue that Kuman basically got a year and a half too. And he had yeah. had a lot more failures with his managerial career. Yes. Uh, and I wouldn't even say, I would argue maybe he did not have the same number of success, though Xavi did in Qatar. But I think even yeah. the Qatar stuff, as unfair as it is, we kind of have to throw that out and say, okay, this is Xavi's first job really. This is just like with Pep, where he was Barca B, but he's taking over. Xavi's taking over Barca. This is going to be, it just, it's entirely different. It's an entirely different world. It's going to yeah. be, you know, the ideas that he's going to try to put forth are going to be ones that are either going yeah. to sink or fail. And we'll see if he could do it. And I think it's going to be about a year and a half for Barca's finances to be able to support his ideas. Uh, because I think he does deserve, and Kuman never got this, but Kuman yeah. also somehow his personality just, didn't allow him to get this. He just, he was yeah. not amenable with the media enough to make those excuses make sense. So I don't think Xavi's going to make excuses in the media. And I think the media no. are going to support him to get multiple transfer windows when the club is able to, to redefine things. I'm not saying like a Erlen Holland level signing mm. ever that he might, no. have, but if he can get again, a winger that is going to yeah. be cheap, or if he can uh, get, you know, some cheap defensive midfielder or center back mm. or whoever that he is handpicked to reinforce his squad next summer and give him two or three signings then, and then give him the opportunity to have Coutinho and, and whoever, Umtiti and whoever yeah. else around the peripheral of the club no longer be floating around his training sessions where he can look yeah. around at the 25 players in training and say, Hey, all, th- all 25 of these players like Pep at Man City, all yeah, like they're mine. Right. All 25 yeah. the ones that I could rely on tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I think I would take, um, I mean, I'm, I'm along the same lines as you and, but more so I think. And, you know, again, I, I guess I'll caveat that by saying, you know, let's, let's assume that it at no point is it just a complete like abject failure, but let's just say the, if the, if the progress is, if the progress is coming a little bit more slowly that, than people wanted. And I'm not talking about a complete train wreck. Um, I would say the remainder of this season and the next two at minimum, because there's a couple of things at play here outside of what Javi has done at, at El Sad. Now I, the, that's the thing, the, the competition level that he was facing wasn't terribly high and he had the team that had the greatest resources in the league. So, you know, fair enough. Like I'm, I'm not so much concerned with what it was that he won and things like that. But it was the fact that by all accounts, I mean, even other managers, other international managers who coach in the Qatari league observed him and saw that he was doing the job properly. He was able to implement philosophies. He was able to implement tactics. And, you know, it was just, it was reps and it was low stakes, 
you know, educational reps that he got in. So I think, you know, assuming that we're going to go ahead and assume he knows the the nuts and bolts of the job. He knows the, you know, kind of the, the, the hurricane that surrounds this club, you know, at the best of times. And I, I think the thing is too, that there isn't another Holy grail manager candidate. Like you get to break this glass one time, you know, when, when we were, when everyone was just, everyone was calling for Valverde's head and then it was Setien and Setien had to go. And then it was Kuman, and, you know, and, you know, but it was always the, the specter of, well, we have Javi, you know, Javi's just, he's cutting his teeth in Qatar. You only get to do this one, one time. And there's not, there's not another, you know, Messiah on the way. So like you, don't ruin this guy, <laughs> you know, like just, he needs to actually have a chance to, to do this properly. And look, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And because I don't think he's going to come in and absolutely set the place on fire and just have it, you know, have it end in complete disaster and tears. Like yeah. if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's fine. But we need to give it a real proper chance to work. Also, the thing is, this is the guy that we were hoping for. You know, this is yeah. the, he was the guy that was going to come and usher in the next, the next era of the Barca way and return the, the Barca DNA and all of the, all of the idioms, all of the, all the stuff we say. And so now I feel like, and there is, look, there is very much a faction of Barca fandom on Twitter that, you know, very performatively, is not okay with anything that is anything less than optimal. And right, right. Yeah. People will, people will be out on Xavi. The people will obviously the minute it, results aren't going there. You can't way, do that. It's going to be managers are always going to be blamed. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I, th- I think that's right about Xavi and about this moment happening the entire time that we've had this podcast for yeah. 302 plus shows. It's always been this thing where, well, can Valverde be doing more as a manager? Is yeah. he out of his depth. Is Kuman the right man for the job? And those answers have always been right. Uh, Valverde yeah. always felt it always felt like something was missing there. Like he was getting results, but there was always something yep. missing. And then with Setien, it was he was out of his depth. And with Kuman, it was yeah. I mean the issues we talked about. Um, yep. Yes. And now you're right that all of this, this whole time culminating in this moment, was that even if even if Luis Enrique was you know had his detractors you always felt safe in his hands, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. He made he would make bad decisions, and Xavi yeah. would make bad decisions. We're going to disagree with his substitutes. We're going to disagree with some things he does, and that's going to happen. But does he have the big picture? Does he? Do you yeah. trust him in the myopic view of the club's success? And I think, and I think in this idea yep. of perfection, and that's like ingrained in Kool-Aid's minds is this idea of ideological perfection and on the field perfection and trophy perfection. And is Shabby yes. capable is like, right? Because in our minds, he is, he is that figurehead who is capable yep. of that perfection. And when he falls short of that perfection, how long is it going to be? And how much of the chorus of those who are going to say Shabby is the fraud that we thought he was? How quickly yeah. are they going to, because I've already seen people that I respect say, uh, I, I don't know if I trust him. I don't feel good about this. And there's the people that I, I trust. That is, that's and, nuts. Right. And it's right. But it, but it's already happening. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's people protecting themselves even saying like, Hey, yes. I'm yeah. smarter than everyone else. Cause I knew that this, you know, everyone else is falling into the good mood and feeling good. And me being the cynic, I, you know, I, I just want, I'm ahead of it. Right. I, yeah, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm the smartest kid in the room. Yeah. Right, like I, I, I saw the cracks when no one saw them, when you guys were just dancing in the streets. Like, yeah, exactly. Cause you, well, I mean, a manager being appointed is not a trophy one. It means nothing. No, uh, but, but I will end the show by saying, I've been saying this for a while. It's true. I have this weird sense of calm <laughs> with Barcelona yeah. material situation that I have not felt even when we began the show with Alverde, because I, you know, as much as I liked enough of Alverde, yeah, yeah. It was true. I was always worried that he was going to play Arturo Vidal over all the young players. Yeah. You, know, you know how many years I spent watching <laughs> Academy games going, why, who can't, why am I doing this? Valverde is not going to play this kid, you know, like this yeah. kid is ready for the big time. I mean, Carlos Alenia, I did it for two years, even with, Carlo, with, with, yeah. I said, Carlos Alenia, how is this kid not playing? I don't understand. Yeah. And then he just never played. And now he's, and now he's gone. And, yeah. and now with the club playing young players, being in the situation they're in, Xavi now coming in. I mean, I just want to feel good. 
That's all. Maybe it's because I've been sick for a while. I've had some, you know, the family stuff's been knocking me down. Look, I, I, think I, the, I just want to feel good. I don't know. That's how I we think that's the thing. I think the vibes are good. I think it's it's okay. You know, for the first time in a minute, it's okay to just kind of feel good. Like this guy who did some of the most brilliant things in the middle of the park at Camp Now is here to try to impart that wisdom and do it again. Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, I'm also excited, honestly, to watch the match <laughs> again and say, look at, be able to look at the nuance. Because for the last even five yeah. years, no offense to Sergio Barzwan, but I wasn't looking for anything. I was literally just looking at just watching no, the match. And then, well, it was com- yeah, it was complete, yeah. like just kind of caretaker stuff. It was, it was just keeping the seat warm. So I, I, I want, I'm excited to go back to watching matches and and be able to constantly be asking why. Why yeah. did Diego, I mean, why did Oscar Mangetha uh, jump at that moment, right? Is that mm. an activation from the coach or is that a decision by the player? Is right. Yeah. I want to. I want to be able to question every single decision mm. each player is making at different instances in the game. I want to say that spacing is either on purpose or isn't, mm. and all those different things that I try to do my best with match reviews. I'm excited to get back to Espanol and spend a long time yeah. watching it and rewatching it, and I'm just I'm finally excited to watch Barcelona and 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 care about every little nuance that we're watching on the field. Yeah, like as much as anything, I mean, this is a deeply, deeply philosophical, you know, it's a it's a philosophy base. I mean, we'll talk about, you know, we can talk about nostalgia and emotions and everything else and, you know, club legend and everything. Most importantly, I mean, this is a philosophy based appointment. I mean, this is, you know, if we want to do the thing, it's the straight line from this guy learned at, you know, at the knee of Pep Guardiola, who, you know, it's it's the perfect connection of Javi to Pep. To Cruyff, to, Rinas you know, Rinas Mikkels and Vic that. Buckingham. And yeah, like we, so this is, this is what we wanted. And, you know, there's no guarantee that it's going to work, but this is what we wanted. So it's cool to be happy as long as, you know, as long as there's optimism there to, to lean into. Yep. All right. So no more. We're going to end with optimism there. So thank you for staking with us for the show. If you're on Twitter and Instagram, you can check him out. He's Emil Evanesian and we are the Barcelona Potter at FMD13 for me. Our closed Facebook group where we got these questions from, that's the Barcelona podcast. Answer the questions and I'll let you into the group. Don't answer them. I don't say this in the group. Mm -hmm. Also behave yourself in the group. That's the big thing I always say or else you get booted from the group like I have with uh, quite a few people recently. Mm -hmm. And then if uh, if you're willing, Patreon is how you can help financially support these shows and also get them without the ads over there. So thanks for that. And then on YouTube, yeah, I've been sick. You can see if you're watching the video portion that the beard is getting longer, but <laughs> I, I am planning on getting better, getting some vitamin C uh, after a week of, of being knocked down. And that also means that I'll be back to making some of those fun match reviews and some other content. Again, it's almost the winter time. So that means it's almost time for my uh, next next man up or whatever in the Masia, <laughs> even though the club itself is kind of spoiling that for me. They're kind of letting you know who's who's up next, uh, including Xavi and all that. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barca. Of course, the Barca.